Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. If you've ever been to a science fiction convention, and trust me on this, I've been to lots, then you know that one of the features of these gatherings of fans and pros, readers and writers, are panels where groups of writers, editors, and other self-appointed experts get up in front of an audience and gas, um, have learned discussions about the genres of science fiction and fantasy. And one of the favorite topics for these panels is something like religion and SF, or maybe the future of religion. There was a time, early in my career, when, desperate to be on any panel at all, I would promote myself as a candidate for the religion panel. Having done far too many... I now avoid them at all costs. I still have my opinions, but I prefer to express them in my fiction, as you are about to hear. It's time to rejoin our friend Adel, who is about to meet his hostess, flirt with Kamila, and then our mysterious narrators will cut in with an overview of the future of religion in today's installment of The Wreck of the Godspeed. Adel guessed that the room was supposed to remind him of home. It didn't exactly because he'd lived with his parents in a high-rise in Great Randall, only two kilometers from Harvest's first master. But it was like houses he had visited out in the countryside, Uncle Derwin's, for example, or the Perisos. The floor appeared to be of some blondish tongue-and-grooved wood. Two of the walls were set to show golden tall-grass prairie, with a herd of chocolate-colored beasts grazing in the distance. Opposite a roll-top desk were three wooden chairs with velvet-upholstered seats gathered around a low oval table. A real plant with leaves like green hearts guarded the twin doorways that opened into the bedroom and the bathroom. Adel's bed was king-sized, with a half-moon head and footboards tied to posts that looked like tree trunks with the bark stripped off. It had a salmon-colored bedspread with a twining rope pattern. However, we should point out that Adel did not notice anything at all about his bed until much later. Oh, no! Hello, said Adel. Oh, yes. Hello yourself, lovely boy. The woman was propped on a nest of pillows. She was wearing a smile and a shift spun from fog. It wisped across her slim, almost boyish body concealing very little. Her eyes were wide and the color of honey. Her hair was spiked in silver. Kamila spoke from behind him. Speedy, he just stepped off the damn stage ten minutes ago. 
He's not thinking of fucking. He's a 19-year-old male, which means he can't think of anything but fucking. She had a wet, whispery voice, like waves washing against pebbles. Maybe he doesn't like girls. I like being female. But I certainly don't have to be. Her torso flowed beneath the fog, and her legs thickened. Actually, I, I do, said Adel. Like girls, I mean. Then forget, Speedy. Kamila crossed the room and stuck her hand through the shape on the bed. It was all fog, and Kamila's hand parted it. This is just a fetch that Speedy projects when she feels like bothering us in person. I have to keep my friends company, said the Godspeed. You can keep him company later. Kamila swiped both hands through the fetch, and she disappeared. Right now he's going to put some clothes on, and then we're going to find Mary and Jarek. Wait, said Adel. What did you do to her? Where did she go? She's still here, Kamila said. She's always everywhere, Adel. You'll get used to it. But what did she want? The wall to his right shimmered and became a mirror image of the bedroom. The godspeed was back in her nest on his bed. To give you a preview of coming attractions, lovely boy. Kamila grasped Adel by the shoulders, turned him away from the wall, and aimed him at the closet. Get changed, she said. I'll be in the sitting room. Hanging in the closet were three identical peach-colored uniforms with blue piping at the seams. The tight pantaloons had straps that would pass under the instep of his feet. The dress blue blouse had the all-too-familiar pulsing heart patch over the left breast. The jacket had a double row of enormous silver zippers and bore two merit pins which proclaimed Adel a true believer of the host of true flesh. Except that he wasn't. Adel had long since given up on his mother's little religion, but had never found a way to tell her. Seeing his uniforms filled him with guilt and dread. He had come two hundred and fifty-seven light-years, and he had still not escaped her. He had expected she would pack the specs for true flesh uniforms in his luggage transmission, but he'd thought she'd send him at least some civilian clothes as well. We have to lose the clown suit. So, how long are you here for? called Kamila from the next room. A year, replied Adel. With a second year at my option. Then he whispered, Speedy. Can you hear me? Always. Never doubt it. Her voice came from the tall blue frill leather boots that were part of his uniform. Are we going to have secrets from Kamila? I love secrets. I need something to wear, he whispered. Anything but this. A year with an option, Kamila called. God, Zadel, who did you murder? Are we talking practical, said the Godspeed? Manly? Artistic? Rebellious? He stooped and spoke directly into the left boot. Something basic, he said. 
Scrubs, like Camulas, will be fine for now. Two blobs extruded from the closet wall and formed into drab pants and a shirt. Adol, called Camilla. Are you all right? I didn't murder anyone. He stripped off the robe and pulled briefs from a drawer. At least the Santa wear was an official true flesh. I wrote an essay. Soft walks bloomed from the floor. The hair on your legs, lovely boy, is like the wire that sings in my walls. The Godspeed's voice was a purr. The closet seemed very small then. As soon as he had shimmied into his pants, Adol grabbed the shirt and the soft walks and escaped. He didn't bother with socks. So, how did you get here, Kamila? He paused in the bedroom to pull on the shirt before entering the sitting room. I was sent here as a condition of my parole. Really? Adol sat on one of the chairs and snapped on his soft walks. Who did you murder? I was convicted of improper appropriation, she said. I misused a symbol set that was alien to my cultural background. Say again, buzzed Minus. Adel nodded and smiled. I have no idea what that means. That's all right, her medallion showed a fist. It's a long story for another time. We pause here to reflect on the variety of religious beliefs in the human continuum. In ancient times, atheists believed that humanity's expansion into space would extinguish its historic susceptibility to superstition. And for a time, as we rode primitive torches to our cramped habitats and attempted to terraform the mostly inhospitable worlds of our home system, this expectation seemed reasonable. But then the discovery of quantum scanning and the perfection of molecular assembly led to the building of the first master systems, and everything changed. Quantum scanning is, after all, destructive. Depending on exactly what has been placed on the stage, that which is scanned is reduced to mere probabilistic wisps, an exhausted scent, or perhaps just soot to be wiped off the sensors. In order to jump from one master to another, we must be prepared to die. Of course, we're only dead for a few seconds, which is the time it takes for the assembler to reconstitute us from a scan. Nevertheless, the widespread acceptance of master transportation means that all of us who had come to thresholds had died and been reborn. The experience of transitory death has led Homo Novo to a renewed engagement with the spiritual. But if the atheists were disappointed in their predictions of the demise of religion, the creeds of antiquity were decimated by the new realities of superluminal culture. Ten thousand new religions have risen up on the many worlds of the continuum to comfort and sustain us in our various needs. We worship stars, sex, the vacuum of space, water, the cosmic microwave background, the uncertainty principle, music, old trees, cats, the weather, dead bodies, certain pharaohs of the Middle Kingdom, food, stimulants, depressants, and Leviakala. We call the deity by many names. 
Genius, the bitch. Kindly one, the trickster, the alien, the thumb, Sagittarius A, the silence, surprise, and the eternal center. What is striking about this exuberant diversity, when we consider how much blood has been shed in the name of gods, is our universal tolerance of one another. But that's because all of us who acknowledge the divine are co-religionists in one crucial regard. We affirm that the true path to spirituality must necessarily pass across the stages of a master, which is another reason why we build thresholds and launch them to spread the continuum, which is why so many of our religions count it as an essential pilgrimage to travel with the threshold on some fraction of its long journey, which is why the host of true flesh on the planet harvest sponsored an essay contest open to any communicant who had not yet died to go superluminal, the first prize being an all-expense-paid pilgrimage to the Godspeed, the oldest, most distant, and therefore holiest of all the thresholds, which is why Veneta Patience Santos had browbeaten her son Adel to enter the contest. Adel's reasons for writing his essay had been his own. He had no great faith in the host and no burning zeal to make a pilgrimage. However, he chafed under the rules his parents still imposed on him, and he had just broken up with his girlfriend Gravilla over the issue of premarital intercourse, he being in favor, she taking a decidedly contrary position. And he'd heard steamy rumors of what passed for acceptable sexual behavior on a threshold at the farthest edge of civilization. Essay contestants were charged to express the meaning of the host of true flesh in five hundred words or less. Adel brought his in at four hundred and nine. Our Place by Adel Ranger Santos we live in a place. This seems obvious, maybe, but think about it. Originally, our place was a little valley on the African continent on a planet called Earth. Who we are today was shaped in large part by the way that place was so long ago. Later, humans moved all around that planet and found new places to live. Some were hot, some freezing. We lived at the top of mountains and on endless prairies. We sailed to islands. We walked across deserts and glaciers. But what mattered was that the places we moved to did not change us. We changed the places. We wore clothes and started fires and built houses. We made every place we went to our place. Later, we left Earth, our home planet, just like we left that valley in Africa. We tried to make places for ourselves in cold space, in habitats, or on asteroids. It was hard. Mars broke our hearts. Venus killed millions. 
Some people said that the time had come to change ourselves completely so that we could live in these difficult places. People had already begun to meddle with their bodies. It was a time of great danger. This was when genius, the goddess of true flesh, awoke for the first time. Nobody knew it then, but looking back we can see that it must have been her. Genius knew that the only way we could stay true to our flesh was to find better places to make our own. Genius visited Lebia Kala and taught her to collapse the wave-particle duality so that we could look deep into ourselves and see who we are. Soon we were on our way to the stars. Then Genius told the people to rise up against anyone who wanted to tamper with their bodies. She made the people realize that we were not meant to become machines, that we should be grateful to be alive for the normal 120 years and not try to live longer. I sometimes wonder what would have happened if we were not alone in space. Maybe if there really were aliens out there somewhere, we would never have had genius to help us, since there would be no one true flesh. We would probably have all different gods. Maybe we would have changed ourselves, maybe into robots or to look like aliens. This is a scary thought. If it were true, we'd be in another universe. But we're not. This universe is our place. And we'll stop there. Apologies if you feel like the story is slowing down. But hey, it's going to be a long trip. And we have to find some way to pass the time. Besides, I would say that the germ of my own writing career began when, as a young lad in the eighth grade, I wrote an essay about Catholicism that took second place in a contest sponsored by the Archdiocese of New York. My prize was not a trip to the stars, alas, but a copy of the New Testament signed by Cardinal Francis Spellman. It seemed like a big thing at the time. And don't worry, the plot starts right back up again in the next installment. So don't forget to click back next week to the Free Reads Podcast.